that reminds us to take perspective about all things, even after great losses uh, in life that may have occurred last evening uh, very late into the night. So um, if you catch my reference, that's okay. Um, Also reminds us that sometimes a game is just a game. So um, I can keep telling myself that. Um, This morning we continue in our series, Character Traits. Uh, And we're going to talk about Elijah. If you're reading along with us in the Bible year, God bless you during these past week and a half or so, uh, because it has been a slog fest. Um, And so, but we came upon these stories of Elijah after Solomon uh, and, and, and Elijah is all of a sudden sort of like a breath of fresh air right in the midst of it. uh, and, And also some very strange stories in the midst of it. And then we catch back into kings and battles and failures of royalty once again. Um, but, but this story today um, is towards the end of the section on Elijah in 1 Kings 19. Uh, and I invite you to hear these words. Ahab, the king, told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had killed all of Baal's prophets with the sword. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah with this message. May the gods do whatever they want to me by this time tomorrow if I haven't made your life like one of them. Elijah was terrified. He got up and ran for his life. He arrived at Beersheba in Judah and left his assistant there. He himself went farther on into the desert a day's journey. He finally sat down under a solitary broom bush. He longed for his own death. It's more than enough, Lord. Take my life because I'm no better than my ancestors. He lay down and slept under the solitary broom bush. Then suddenly, a messenger tapped him and said to him, Get up, eat something. Elijah opened his eyes and saw flatbread baked on glowing coals and a jar of water right by his head. He ate and drank and then went back to sleep. The Lord's messenger returned a second time and tapped him. Get up, the messenger said. Eat something because you have a difficult road ahead of you. Elijah got up, ate and drank, and went refreshed by that food for forty days and nights until he arrived at Horeb, God's mountain. There he went into a cave and spent the night. The Lord's word came to him and said, Why are you here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I've been very passionate for the Lord God of heavenly forces because the Israelites have abandoned your covenant. They have torn down your altars and they have murdered your prophets with a sword. I'm the only one left and now they want to take my life too. The Lord said, Go out and stand at the mountain before the Lord. The Lord is passing by. A very strong wind tore through the mountains and broke apart the stones before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. After the fire, there was a sound, thin quiet. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his coat. He went out and stood at the cave's entrance. A voice came to him and said, why are you here, Elijah? He said, I've been very passionate for the Lord God of heavenly forces because of the Israelites have abandoned your covenant. They have torn down your altars and they have murdered your prophets with the sword. I'm the only one left and now they want to take my life too. The Lord said to him, go back through the desert to Damascus and anoint Hazael as king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, Nimshi's son, as king of Israel and anoint Elisha. 
from Ebal Mahalah, Shavhat's son, to succeed you as prophet. Whoever escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. But I have preserved those who remain in Israel, totaling 7,000, all those whose knees haven't bowed down to Baal and whose mouths haven't kissed him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What does hopelessness look like? Bleak? A feeling like no change is possible? Stuck? Feeling like you can't go anywhere or get out? There's nowhere to turn? can't see a way out. It is overwhelming to be hopeless. Individually, I know there have been seasons where I've found myself near hopeless. We also find our world to be hopeless at times. We distract ourselves with entertainment in the midst of global conflict, or family strife, or grief, relationships that are severed, a two-year grudge match that we've all had with a pandemic. It is overwhelming to be hopeless. Elijah had a reason to be hopeless. In fact, in the passage right before this, we read this. He bowed down to the ground and put his face between his knees. We don't get that description of someone taking that posture ever in Scripture. We get this image of Elijah, head down, bent over, ready to just throw in the towel and give it up completely. Elijah had been on the run for a lot of his prophetic ministry. That's a lot of the times how we find God encountering the prophet Elijah. King Ahab and his wife Jezebel have had him on this run and fearing for his life. But at this point, Elijah seems like he has had enough. And that's where we encounter him today. A sense of hopelessness for this prophet. Now, if we pull back and see where we are in this story in the book of Kings, Elijah is a pretty hopeful presence uh, amidst the pretty bleak narrative that is all of Kings. This book is, like I said, it's pretty bleak. Solomon was hardly a hero by the end of his time that begins the book of Kings. He built the temple, but he continued to lead Israel astray. And after his reign, the kingdom split in two. So the northern ten tribes were called Israel, and the the southern two tribes were called Judah. And it would remain that way uh, until both Israel and Judah would eventually be conquered in the life of Israel. And we begin a series of readings about kings who led their kingdoms both further and further away from the worship of Yahweh. And then, right then, Elijah shows up into the narrative. He feels like this breath of fresh air, this faithful prophet who calls out to the royalty, specifically King Ahab, those who are leading Israel further and further away from the Lord. So we begin this reading today with the description of Elijah on the run. He runs to the desert because he brought down the 450 prophets 
of Baal. If you remember that story, Elijah comes out, right, and, and he, he challenges the prophets of Baal. And, they, and, and Elijah says, hey, you guys, see if your God will bring down fire magically from heaven. And, and they dance all around the fire, and they do all sorts of things, and they can't get fire. And Elijah pours water all up on his altar and fills, the, fills a moat all around it with water and and God sends fire down from heaven and burns up the entire thing. And then Elijah um, goes, goes and kills these 450 prophets of Baal, trying to, trying to purify the people of Israel and draw them back into worship of God. So Jezebel is ready to kill Elijah now. She is, she is gunning for his life and basically says that in the next day she is going to take his life because those 450 prophets of Baal were essentially working for the king of Israel at this time. Elijah feels hopeless. Finally, just falling asleep under this solitary broom bush in the desert. I wonder, have you ever felt isolated? Have you ever felt like you're in the desert, on the run, and not sure where your life is headed? Elijah is not only physically isolated, but he feels like he is a lone wolf in a culture who worships Baal. Baal was the long-standing Canaanite god. Worship of Baal included aspects like child sacrifice and temple prostitution. Moreover, worship of Baal was directly against the first commandment that Israel had received, right? You shall have no other gods before me. And yet this is what the people of Israel keep doing. They keep finding themselves back into worship of other gods. And Baal is the, is the chief one who keeps showing up because he was the Canaanite god before they came into Israel. So Elijah describes this isolation he feels as a prophet to God. In fact, he says this twice. He says it before his encounter with God, and then he says it after and when complaining to him. He says, I've been very passionate for the Lord God of heavenly forces because the Israelites have abandoned your covenant. They have torn down your altars, and they have murdered your prophets with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they want my life too. I wonder, who is our culture's Baal? Who or what draws us away from worshiping the one true God? Elijah had reason to feel hopeless. Yet, as we read this story, we recognize the hope that we can see in this faithful prophet of Israel. And right when Elijah's at his lowest point, right when he says, I just wish I would die here under this broom bush, in steps God into the story. Where does the majority of this story today take place? It takes place at Mount Horeb, which is also known as Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. As readers of scripture, we are meant to hear this as an echo of Moses receiving the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. We are meant to remember the magnificent cloud and fire on top of the mountain where Moses was in God's presence for 40 days and 40 nights. Elijah then wakes up from his sleep and is provided food by the Lord's messenger in this extraordinary way, right? All of a sudden there's hot coals and bread baking there and, and a flagon of water is right there for him. He was ready to die in the desert alone and God provides bread and water for him. And this sustained Elijah for how long? Well, the text says 40 days and 40 nights. 
We're supposed to notice that number when it shows up in Scripture. And it sustains him all the way on this journey to the mountain of God, to Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. God meets people on mountaintops in Scripture. The high places that we hear described in Scripture were just that. They were often worship sites or altars set up on mountain vistas where someone remembered how small they were and how big God was. God meets Elijah and prepares him to receive something new in the midst of his isolation. And what does God do exactly? God comes to Elijah and instructs him to pay attention, for he is going to pass by. God himself, his very presence is going to pass by Elijah, not just a word, but God's very presence. And Elijah expects to see God in the rushing wind. This wind was so powerful that it split apart rocks on the mountain, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. Elijah expects to see God in the earthquake that shakes the very ground that he was standing on, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. Elijah expects to see God in the fire that alights all around him, like the burning bush that Moses saw that couldn't be put out, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. Moses saw God in the earth, wind, and fire. If you're wondering where that name came from. The people of Israel could see from the base of the mountain that something incredible was happening when Moses met with God on the mountain. But that's not how God met Elijah. Instead, Elijah hears something, faintly but clear some type of sound, it says, thin, quiet. That's how the Common English Bible translates it. The King James gave us a still, small voice. And Elijah goes out to the entrance to the cave and speaks directly with God. Elijah tells God once again how alone he feels, how he is the only prophet left for the Lord. And what does the Lord do? Well, he rewrites Elijah's narrative. He rewrites his story. God is in the business of rewriting the stories we tell that are destined to go by God. He tells Elijah that he is not alone, that in fact God has preserved 7,000 prophets who have not bowed a knee to Baal, who have not kissed that throne. Elijah has been so consumed with fear and having to run that he could not see it. God provides for Elijah hope in the midst of a hopeless situation. What happens to us when we are devoid of hope? We often don't feel like we have a reason to keep living. Like Elijah, when he said, I'm more than enough, Lord, take my life because I'm no better than my ancestors. We feel like him, like we should just crawl up in the desert and go to sleep for good. But friends, hope, hope for us as Christian people is that Jesus is the king and that God's kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven. This is the hope of Jesus' resurrection and ascension. There is a new reality. It is, however, hidden and not fully here yet until Jesus returns. However, we can be people of hope because we catch 
glimpses of it. We once in a while hear that still, small voice of God. Friends, this is why we need church, why we need one another. We need the hope that comes from hearing how God is working in and through one another's lives in that still, small voice. The church is called to be a people of hope. We are always people of the resurrection. We are always proclaiming, always trusting, always displaying that death and decay that surrounds us is not the way that God has made the world to be. This is good news. Hope. Hope does not disappoint us. God meets us, gives us another day, and hope for eternity in the still, small voice. May we listen for God's voice. Trust in God's voice. And amplify God's voice to offer hope in our hopeless world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Only be still.